This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my YouTube channel. Free yoga is how I got started on my incredible yoga journey, and I want to bring you the same practices and principles that inspired me to begin my practice. On my channel, you'll find workouts and fitness videos, yoga flows, meditations, wellness vlogs, and more. You can click the link in my bio to subscribe to my channel and support me and free online yoga. Welcome to Balance Your Life podcast. My name is Megan Farrell and I am the host of the show. This podcast is designed to inspire and empower you to start and maintain your own wellness journey so you can become the best version of yourself. Let's begin. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Balance Your Life podcast. I am your host, Megan Farrell Gordon. And boy, oh boy, do we have a podcast episode for you, especially if you're a new mom, if you're pregnant, if you plan on being pregnant at any time in your life. This episode is jam-packed with so much value. I will let you know that the audio does drop a few times throughout this podcast interview, uh, but the information is just so good and it's just so juicy and full disclaimer, our guest of the show today, Shondell, is my doula. So not only do I get her in my life for when the little man makes his appearance, but I also felt like I just learned so much myself about this pod in this podcast interview and hopefully it brings you just as much value. So today on the podcast, I am joined by Shondell Ferguson. Shondell is a wife and mom to three children. She is also a birth and postpartum doula, as well as a lactation counselor. Shondell's goal is to provide compassionate support to families where they are in life. She provides evidence-based information and helps birthing people and families make informed choices for all aspects of pregnancy, labor, postpartum, and feeding. On this episode, we talk about the benefits of having a doula, creating birth plans, and what to consider when making one, and three things you can do to create a healthy pregnancy and labor experience. We also discuss tips for new moms and bonding with baby, navigating postpartum, and so much more. Make sure you check out Chandel online after this podcast episode. Keep tuning into my social media because I have absolutely loved sharing my pregnancy journey with all of you on there, whether it's workouts and yoga flows that I am doing, updates on myself and the baby, just anything and everything to do with pregnancy. This has been such a transformative time in my life and I hope that you've enjoyed being on the ride with me. With that, please welcome Shondell Ferguson to the Balance Your Life podcast. Welcome to the show. This episode is brought to you by my program and guide, Yoga Mama Journey, Journey to a Happy and Healthy Pregnancy and Baby. Navigating pregnancy can be so transformative in the best possible ways, but it can also feel overwhelming at times. 
I've put together a program and guide that will help you to alleviate some of that guesswork and be in great shape, mind and body for when baby comes into your world. This program contains prenatal workouts, prenatal yoga flows, prenatal Pilates, affirmations for pregnancy, pregnancy supplement checklist, baby registry checklist, hospital bag checklist, and additional resources. You can use the link in the show notes to access the Yoga Mama Journey, Journey to a Happy and Healthy Pregnancy and Baby Program and Guide. Welcome to the show, Shondell. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I would love if you could give a little bio of who you are and where in the world you are currently joining me from today. Sure. So I am currently in Bedford, Nova Scotia. Um, It's nice and sunny today, which is great. A little bit about me. I'm a mom of three and um, originally from Newfoundland and moved to Nova Scotia for the doula world. And so um, what else? I'm married to an Irishman. We met in a pub in Ireland. And really, I guess my, my focus of doula work is to just provide um, empowerment so that people can have the birth and the postpartum period that they want and feel supported in any of the decisions that they make. I was just saying, you couldn't tell that you married a Irishman with the last name Ferguson there. Yep. That's uh <laughs> That's funny. And uh, just for a little context too, you are my doula, which I am so excited about. And it's so funny because I talked to my, like my parents, my mom, you know, my mother-in-law, my grandmother, and they're like, was this a thing like back when we were having a baby? Cause this would have been so amazing to have. Why did you get into the world of wanting to be a doula? Like what led you down this path? Yeah, so as as a kid, I was always drawn to pregnant people, to babies. Um, everybody called me a mother's hen. Like that's where I kind of gravitated, and so kind of that's the way I've been my whole life. And then growing up in Newfoundland, midwives weren't a thing, doulas weren't a thing, but it was always in the back of my head that that's what I wanted to do something um, in that kind of role. Um, and then once my third child was born, my husband is like, "Okay, Shandell, like it's time to figure out what you really want to do here in life." And so one of my friends said, like, why don't you look at being a doula? There's a doula training coming to Newfoundland next week. And so I kind of jumped feet first into doing that. And it's been it's been incredible ever since we moved to uh, Nova Scotia in 2017. And I've been to over 160 births since we moved here that year. And it's been like um, all consuming and amazing. And yeah, like it just I want to keep doing it forever. And for anyone who's like, I've heard this term, like, but like, I'm still kind of new to this world. What exactly does a doula do? What is the purpose of potentially hiring a doula or having one by your side during this transition of pregnancy and motherhood? Yeah. And a lot of people like kind of think that doula and midwife are the same thing. And we're not at all. Um, We're not like medically trained. So we can't do blood pressure checks, you know, cervical checks, any of those kinds of things. We leave that to the nurses and the doctors. Our role as doulas is to provide information around what your options are, what your choices are, 
to let you know things that, um, you know, not what anybody else would do, but here's the pros and the cons of all these things. And let's, let's chat through those emotional support. So, you know, pregnancy and, um, labor postpartum, it's a journey, um, for people who have never gone through it before, but people who have gone through it before too, and having somebody who's unbiased, who's not kind of emotionally connected to you and not want to see you go through pain and labor and things like that. That's my role. So, um, yeah, so the emotional piece is is really important. Um, that's probably the biggest piece of doula work. Um, and then the physical support. And so as doulas, we're trained to know um, what's happening to the body, what's happening to the baby in labor and postpartum and um, ways to get you in different positions to get labor to progress and things that we can do to help with comfort, hip squeeze, counter pressure. When's a good time to get into the bathtub? What can we do to support you in the bathtub to get through those pressure waves and those contractions? Um, so it's it's all of that supporting the partner. Um, my role is not to, you know, take the place of a partner at all. It's there to support and kind of round out the team so that we're all there together. Um, and then there's postpartum doulas. And a lot of people don't know about postpartum doulas either. But um, as postpartum doulas, we come into your home and we are there for, you know, three, four hours. And we will help watch baby, do dishes, make meals, fold laundry, um, help with feeding. So me personally, I'm a lactation counselor too. So I can help with all those bumps that come along the road with feeding your baby. Yeah, so that's kind of the Coles Notes versions of doula work. No, it's amazing. And I like for me myself, I was there was kind of a few reasons why I wanted to hire a doula was one, I don't really have any family where I currently am right now. And B, I wanted somebody who had been in this space before who knew the ins and outs. This is my first baby. This is my first rodeo. And even if it wasn't, I think I would still want somebody there who's had a bunch of experience because every baby and every pregnancy is different. And I also selfishly kind of wanted like an unbiased person in the room with me that a, I wouldn't feel guilty about if I was screaming and getting upset and like, just losing my mind. And it's not like I'm not like yelling at my mom or my mother in law, where like, you know, personal feelings get involved and people get hurt and stuff. But I wanted somebody who was like, who kind of was on my side and was like, no, this is kind of the plan that we have. This is how we want to stay within the plan. While also, you know, having that experience of being like, okay, maybe things shift and stuff. And I was trained and I was teaching prenatal yoga. And that was the one thing, even though I'm not trained as a doula or midwife or anything, I used to say to my ladies, because they would be so in their head, like, this is the way it has to go when I'm in labor. And I'm like, you know what, sometimes we do what's best for us and baby. And sometimes that shifts and changes. And I think a doula can just help you make informed decisions and also just feel really good about your decision and and just give advice be there I guess emotionally for somebody sometimes that's all you want <laughs> well and that's it somebody to just validate that what it is that you've chosen is still right for you and still make you feel empowered I mean you can walk in and say I'm going to have an unmedicated birth and I want to stay home as long as possible and avoid avoid all these things but at the end of the day, that may not be what happens. And so my role is to just say, great, okay, this is what's here. How do we make the best choice for you and for baby um, and make sure that you're still okay with those decisions? So at the end of the day, there's not 
this added trauma that comes along with it that you're taking with you into the postpartum period. Absolutely. So I can appreciate that it might be different for each practicing doula or someone who is a doula. But if someone is working with you, what is kind of the first like, how does somebody work with you? I know I, I thought I snagged you quite kind of fast. And you were like, I have one spot left for July. And this was back in December. And I was like, I thought I had all this time to like, (laughs) you know, find a doula. But let's say someone's like, okay, let's, I'm going to go with you. What are like the steps to working with you? How long are you communicating with somebody? When do you meet with them? And like, what is the process of having you as their doula? Yeah, so we would obviously schedule a consult. um, And that could be at a coffee shop, like where you and I met, um, or it could be in somebody's home. I've even done virtual consults. Um, And so we would chat about kind of to make sure that we're the right fit, make sure that that you think that I'm a great person to have in your space and vice versa. Um, And then, you know, obviously sign a contract. And then we keep in we keep in touch. And I usually send a text once a month to be like, hey, how are things going? Just checking in. Um, I also like when my clients kind of update me about any appointments, ultrasounds, all those kinds of things. I'm there to answer questions about, you know, baby registries or what do I do this time? And what did what is this that the doctor said? Those kinds of things. Um, I want to kind of be like your your friend through all of this. And then we usually meet once around 32 to 34 weeks to talk about you know, birth and timing contractions and, you know, all those kinds of things, who's going to be at the hospital or the home birth, whatever it is that you're having. And then we meet again around the 37 week mark, just to go over kind of like birth preferences and show a partner hip squeeze and counter pressure and just kind of clue up and make sure we're all on the same page for what it is that the birthing person wants for their journey. And then once labor starts, um, I'm there with you, whether you labor at home, whether I'm meeting you at the hospital, then I'm there for the entirety, Um, stay for a couple of hours after labor. And then we do a couple of postpartum check ins too, where I can come and help with, you know, whatever it is that you need in in those first few weeks. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the pros and cons, I guess, if you will, I I don't really think there's cons, but maybe like the idea of creating a birth plan and maybe in your opinion like what does that look like it's it's funny because even when I was teaching prenatal I used to get that question all the time and I had just from you know I was lucky enough that the lady who taught our prenatal classes was also a doula so she had that but that's not like a standard uh, practice that you learn in like prenatal yoga teacher training but what would be kind of like, what are things people should consider when they're creating a birth plan, either for themselves or if they have a doula by their side? So one of the things I always chat about is I hate the word plan. Plans go out the window. You can make a plan for anything and it's never going to happen the way you want it to. So I always like birth preferences, birth wishes. Um, And, you know, you can find lots of pretty templates on, uh, you know, Instagram or wherever and, and print them out. Um, at the end of the day, is something that's short and concise, bullet points, jot notes, not these big, huge, long paragraphs. If you get to the hospital and, you know, things are running tickety-boo, doctors and nurses don't have time to read through these big paragraphs. So they want to see 
what matters for medical things. So it's great to kind of have a conversation with, you know, who's going to support you, whether it's your doula, your partner, your mom, whoever, to chat about things like low lighting and, you know, warm compresses and music and all those kinds of things. The nurses and the doctors don't necessarily care about that stuff. They've got their other jobs to do. So thing, medical things like, you know, do you want to push in different positions? Would you like to have nobody talk to you about pain management, um, medical pain management until you need it? Do you, um, you know, are you okay with the vitamin K shot? Are you, you know, hoping to have extended de- delayed cord clamping? Um, you know, does your partner pass out? That's always good for nurses to know too. Those kinds of things. So those medical things that are really important that, you know, they need to chat with you about. Those are the things to have on there. If none of those things matter to you, and I have clients who are like, listen, I'm just going to roll with the punches. If I need an epi, I'm going to get an epi. If the doctor says this is what's needed, great, I'm going to trust them and this is what's needed. Then don't go in with a piece of paper. You don't need to have that. But it's when those particular things matter to you, that's what you need to have on paper. And a lot of times people go in with, if they don't have a doula or they don't have, you know, childbirth education classes, they don't know that all these things are going to be thrown at them. And so you don't know what you don't know, but then they get in there and they have people asking them all these questions and chatting with them about all these things. And that's when they're like, well, I don't know. Am I supposed to know those things? Am I supposed to say yes to that? So um, I usually say that, you know, only what matters needs to go on a piece of paper. And if nothing really matters, then, um, you know, don't have a piece of paper, just walk in there and ready to take on the journey. Yeah, I can promise you that my husband is going to be the person that you're going to have to support throughout (laughs) some of this. He does not even blood work. He's like, Oh my God. I'm like, babe, this is going to get so much more intense than blood work soon. Like we got to get on board with it. (laughs) In your, I think when, People hear, you know, the low lighting, the salt rock lamps, they kind of assume, oh, well, that would just be a home birth. And I, A, don't plan to have a home birth or B, there's no midwives. Like my position is I really wanted to actually have a home birth and there's just no midwives. I'm still on this waiting list, but I'm getting to the point of like, I want to know who my midwife is that would be delivering. I don't want it to be like in June, they call me up and they're like, hey, we have someone like I, I haven't developed a a relationship with this person who would be delivering my baby essentially. So I guess if someone is like, Hey, I plan to go to a hospital, but everything you're saying sounds good. As a doula, do you have the opportunity to go in there and dim the lights, bring in salt rock lamps if you want to play music? Or I think some people just assume, Oh, like I'll just be like overhead lights on, you know, people coming in and out. And you know, that's what a hospital birth is like, is there can you do things like that as a doula? Oh, 100%. Even even a partner. So if you choose not to have a doula, still talk to your partner or whoever's going to be supporting you to go in and turn down those lights to, you know, plug in your salt lamp to get your lights going to do whatever it is that you need to do. We're, we're quite lucky here. Um, at the hospital that's local to us, they have a couple of rooms that are set up kind of like, I want to say like a birthing center almost. They have like little twinkle lights, affirmation cards everywhere, low lighting, um, and they're they're quite lovely. Just the, the atmosphere is nice. And so the evidence is out there to show that when you make a space more cozy, more like home, labor will progress better um, and outcomes are better. So 
if your hospital is following policies and evidence, then um, you know they're probably going to be doing those things anyway. Um, but if not, walk in there and just say, "Hey, I'm going to turn down the lights. Is that okay?" And they're not going to mind. They can still. There's there's so many lights everywhere in all the different rooms that if they need a little spotlight to type things in on the computer or something, they can do that. Um, but yeah, 100%. You have you have the um, ability to make that space your own for sure. As a doula, if you had the opportunity to create your ideal space for your client, whether it's at home or a hospital, what, in your opinion, is the best type of setting for really tranquil, as tranquil as it can be, grounding, peaceful, uh, birthing experience? Like, what, what are you bringing in and what do you have going on in the room? So lighting for sure. It has to be low lighting. Fluorescent lightings are not good for um, for labor at all. A, a, a bath space nearby, whether that somebody has space for a birthing tub or um, there's a tub in your labor room, then that needs to be to be there and utilized. Hopefully the bath is an incredible space. And then um, scents. So if there's scents that kind of work with people, whether it's peppermint or lavender or citrus to kind of invigorate a little bit if you need a little pick me up those things are really important and and music and so for some people that music is 80s pop for some people that music is you know animal sounds or the ocean or um you know meditative music whatever that person needs to kind of get them in the headspace that they need to be in so i i like music a lot um and then headphones because sometimes you need to drown out everybody that's there and just plug in your headphones and be in your own space and blankets and pillows and all those comfy things. If it's at a hospital, um, they're going to have lots of kind of um, birth balls and peanut balls and those kinds of things. But if you're at home, having lots of different space that you can do lunges if needed or, um, you know, have some support for squats and, and those kinds of things. So honestly, you can have a great birth with very little things. Um, it's really about just kind of creating the atmosphere that you find most um, comforting. Um, and for everybody, that's probably going to be different, but um, you don't need a lot of things. And even as a doula, I don't need a lot of things. I need my voice. I need my my person, me, and my hands. That's it. That's all I really need. I had a friend once, we were talking a little while ago about home births and stuff. And she was like, does it look like a murder scene in there afterwards? Like I just imagine all these things, like there's blood everywhere and the, all these things happening. And I, in my head, I'm like, Oh, I don't actually like, I don't think so. I feel like if that was, is it super messy? Like how rugs and white couches and white sheets, like what, what are, what is being done to like, I mean the midwives, if you're having a home birth, whether it's with midwives, um, you know, Maybe you're in the States and you can have, you know, doctors who come and be at your home births, which is amazing. They're going to give you a list of like, you know, puppy pee pads and they have lots of towels and those kinds of things um, to put a, um, a shower curtain liner underneath the sheets on your bed to protect your mattress, those kinds of things. Um, in a normal birth that goes, you know, how it should, there's not a whole lot of blood there's lots of fluid that make the blood look more than what it actually is but you know you get everything out of the way you get all the white things out of the way um you know so that they don't but there's lots of you know you're putting down lots of soaker pads and um you know protecting your good sheets protecting your comforter and stuff if you're in your bedroom but yeah no it's it's not too bad it's it's a lot for probably the partner to clean up after especially if there's like a water birth or something like that but no it's it's not too bad 
Amazing. If in your experience, just being present at so many different births and being on this journey with a lot of soon to be moms, what have you seen? And again, this is like a blanket thing because I know everybody has a different pregnancy experience, but what have you seen that makes a pregnancy quote unquote easier, or at least like a more enjoyable. And especially when it comes to like that laboring time, like, is it the people who are walking daily? Is it eating healthy? Like what are some of the things that you've noticed that have really contributed to a healthier, easier? And I use that term very loosely, uh, (laughs) labor and pregnancy. Honestly, I think the number one thing is mindset. People who are fearful of labor, fearful of giving birth, fearful of pain, they're going to walk in and we call it the fear, tension, pain cycle. And so they're fearful, their body tenses up in fear, and then contractions are more painful. If you walk into labor and you're like, this is what I need to do to meet my baby, and you're ready to kind of accept whatever comes, you take those breaks in between contractions you trust your body. People have been doing this for centuries. Um, so you you trust your body and know that, you know, what's going to happen is needed to have your baby. Then those things are, that's the biggest piece for me. The people who walk in and be like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to try this. Um, I'm not fearful. I know that I can do this. Those are the people who kind of have the, I don't want to, I don't like the word easy, like you, it's like, you know, you say that with uh, a grain of salt, but who have the less traumatic births, I'll I'll say it that way. People who walk in there and be like, hey, if I get the epi, I get the epi. Um, And when I say epi, I mean epidural. But if they walk in there, and that's what they say, and they and then they're okay with that, they're not walking in with any expectations on themselves, um, then their birth goes you know, how they expected it to go. Um, So I think the mentality and not being very rigid in how you think that this is going to go, um, that's the best thing. Obviously, activity is huge, you know, being active and um, having a healthy lifestyle, those kinds of things are great. The more you can move throughout pregnancy, throughout labor, that's going to help progress your labor. If you're laying down because you're, um, you know, don't want to get up and get moving, that's going to keep baby in the same position. We need to help get gravity moving. And so being up, bouncing on a ball, moving around to different positions, all those things are great. And it's a cardio workout. Your body is doing like a marathon. And then I find people who go to like acupuncture and Cairo, those kinds of things, it balances their body. And it just makes the right kind of space for baby to come down and and rotate in the pelvis the way that it needs to. And so those are probably the three things that I say helps the most is the mindset, the physical kind of ability to just keep moving, whether that's a walk a day, whether that's, you know, you're chasing after a toddler, um, whatever that looks like for you for being active, and then kind of taking in those other things to get your body in balance, um, just to, to make that space for baby. I remember hearing a doula once on a podcast say, like labor is a physical activity there. It, it is a marathon and you need to train your body for it. And this is not to say like the people who are, you know, so bedridden and sick that they can't, you know, even get up to use the bathroom. But, you know, for the most of the population and the general pop that can move that maybe just choose maybe not to, it's, she's like, you got to prepare yourself, like it is going to be a lot of work and like not to sugarcoat it, but 
if you're physically active, at least you're a little bit more prepared. It's funny because near my house, there's a hill like, and it's like a 90 degree hill. It, it is like quite the hill. And I stand at the bottom of it and I'm just, okay, labor be a lot more intense than hill and stuff, but it's, I think, yeah, you, you just have to prepare yourself for like the, you know, labor is not going to be, I don't want to say like, tell yourself it's going to be hard and all these things, but just prepare yourself as physically best as you can. I think it's the best way to look at it. Yeah. And that's, that's great because now I'm going to remind you as you're going through contraction, it's like, remember that hill. It's not as bad as that hill, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, at the very bottom, you're like, Ooh, this looks intense at the top. You're like, I did it. I'm breathing a little heavier. Things just seem a little harder these days, but I'm always like, okay, we did it. We're good. Yeah. yeah. What are some, maybe this question comes up a lot, like pelvic floor type of things that we can do to kind of keep that in alignment. Because I remember always, like always hearing people be like, Oh, after you have a baby, be prepared to pee when you sneeze and pee when you laugh. And like, sometimes pee just comes out. And again, in my yoga prenatal teacher training my teacher was like that's not normal that's your pelvic floor that's out of whack uh and that's not something that's really talked about when it comes to pregnancy or birth or even postpartum is like what the pelvic floor goes through and maybe things that we can do to strengthen it and I'd love to ask like afterwards I've always heard after the baby is born lie down as much as possible because you don't want that pelvic floor it's so heavy at that point to be like a lot of stress on it like is there any truth to that is there is that like totally validated I guess so I mean I always recommend people go see a pelvic floor therapist because they're the ones that are like up to date on all information you're right. It's been always the thing where even my mother and grandmother is like, yeah, you're just going to pee yourself when you're walking up the stairs. That's normal. Get used to that. And it wasn't until I started talking to pelvic floor therapists that they're like, no, Shendel, like that's not, no, you need to get in my office. You're not supposed to be doing that. And so, you know, there's, there's great online pelvic floor therapists. There's great local pelvic floor therapists. I guarantee you wherever you are in the world and, and find one, even just to go to one appointment and say, Hey, I'm going to have a baby soon. What do I need to know? And what they'll do is they will do an internal, which sounds kind of, you know, intimidating to some people, but they will do an internal and get you to breathe and do all those kinds of things to see what kind of muscle um, strength or weakness you have in your pelvic floor for pushing. They're going to talk to you about pushing and effective pushing um, and then what to do postpartum. So a lot of people think, let's do Kegels. Let's tighten up my pelvic floor. But you don't want to do that when you're when you're having a baby. A tight pelvic floor is not what you want to have to push out a baby. So it's always best, I say, to go see a pelvic floor therapist and they can actually do a an assessment for each individual person. And then they'll see you postpartum as well to kind of check in to see how things are going. But yeah, for, for me, I like to always refer to the the people in the know, um, as opposed to saying kind of like what you should do and what you shouldn't, because everybody's pelvic floor is in a different place of weakness, tightness, firmness, those kinds of things. So I always like to just kind of refer out. No, that makes a, a, a lot of sense. And I, yeah, I, everybody's different. Right. And like, I, I, I like to do like when I'm listening to 
people, especially workouts and stuff like my, I'm looking at more of like the prenatal type of fitness instructors, because I personally think they just tell you how to engage your pelvic floor differently than like a regular personal trainer. And you're like, Oh, I didn't know I should be doing that. You know, and then the sensation switches and you're like, Oh, that feels a lot better. So that makes a lot of sense. Sticking with the theme of postpartum, that was something that always kind of freaked me out slash freaks me out is you hear about people going through horrendous mm-hmm. postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. And I I guess, how does a new mom deal with that? There's so much going on. They've got a new human to take care of. They're likely sleep deprived. They're, you know, all of us, we have all these hormones and then they're just gone. Like, what are some tips and tricks for somebody to deal with postpartum? whether it's depression or anxiety? Yeah, so I always tell people to have a plan before baby comes, before you're sleep deprived, talk with your partner and your support people about what they're going to do to help. And so I always say like, if one partner's a night owl and one partner's, and say the birthing person is a a morning person, then the, the night owl is gonna take care of you know, burping and changing and putting baby back to sleep for, you know, those late night hours while the birthing person sleeps, then they swap over at like two or 3am. And then, you know, the birthing person is doing their thing and and is up and kind of watching baby so that everybody is getting a chunk of sleep. It makes no sense for two people to be up at one time and to be awake for chunks of hours at a time. It's it's going to kind of end in, you know, real sleep deprivation and, and then crazy things happen from there. Um, obviously, if you're having twins or triplets, it's a bit of a different story because you need multiple hands to, to help feed those babies. Um, but for singletons, you know, come up with a plan before baby is born of, how you can support each other, who's going to bring meals, who's going to make sure that, you know, all you have to do is pop something in the oven or in the microwave to make sure people are fed. Um, Can you get parents or friends to come? Um, Is having a postpartum doula, you know, feasible financially or logistically to have somebody come and spend a couple hours a week, a couple hours every two weeks to come and meal prep things for you and, you know, help do laundry and those kinds of things. Postpartum anxiety and depression are, they're huge. The rates are huge, especially here in Nova Scotia. We have one of the highest rates in Canada. And it's um, a lot of practitioners don't know what to do to help. They're kind of, you know, just following what they think they should do and not really know how to help. So um, one of the tools that I always say is there's a, a tool called the Edinburgh Postpartum Screening Tool. You can get the PDF online and it's what a lot of practitioners use. You print it out in pregnancy when things are as okay as they can be and see what your score is. And then if a few weeks after birth, you know, three, four weeks, things just aren't right. You're not feeling great. Maybe your partner knows that, you know, things aren't great. Pull that, pull that screening tool out again, go through and see where you are. If your, if your score has changed a whole lot, um, that's the time to reach out to, you know, your family doctor, reach out to see what counselors are available. If you have an EAP program with work, there's there should be at most hospitals a maternal mental health program. Can you self-refer to those things? And then really just start to work through and navigate what it is that you need. A lot of times sleep exasperates postpartum anxiety and depression a whole lot because people don't function on sleep. 
like you said, add in those hormones along with it. Um, and it can be a really, really sad time for people. So, you know, by talking about all these things openly before baby comes with your partner, with your support people, that's the biggest tip so that you're not in the thick of it trying to kind of find a way out. Um, know who your resources are before, you know, you, you have your baby. Um, that's kind of the biggest tips that I have. I selfishly have a question um, because I've listened to people talk about postpartum doulas or night nurses or even just having like a family come over, a member come over one night so mom and dad can sleep and they can be up with the baby. What ha- like I was always under the impression that you needed to like breastfeed or pump a lot if, if that was what you were choosing to do over formula. I was like, well, how does somebody sleep through the entire night? Like, do they have to get up and pump still throughout the night? And then does that defeat the whole purpose of getting a good night's sleep? Like, is that a weird question to ask? Like, I I guess I'm not a weird question at all. And so chances are, especially in, you know, the first few months of baby's life, you are going to have to get up and pump. Um, your breasts will feel really full. You, you know, you have increased risks of mastitis and block ducts and things like that if you try to sleep through that. But chances are you're going to be so uncomfortable once your breasts get full that you're going to want to get up and pump anyway. But you're only up for that 15 to 20 minutes to pump. You can do it in the dark. Um, and then that makes it easier to fall back into that sleep afterwards. Um, and then that pumping is what you would use uh, for the next person to give a bottle. Um, who's staying up with them. The other option is that whoever's there with baby just brings baby to you to feed. You can figure out kind of how to do that in bed and lay down to feed. And then you can still stay quite rested, keep your eyes closed. You're not kind of, um, you know, alerting your body to blue light and those kinds of things. Um, And then the person who's watching the baby just comes and gets them as soon as they're done feeding. You go back to sleep and they handle everything else. So there's kind of two options for that. Once baby gets a little bit older and they start sleeping longer stretches, um, you may not have to get up and and pump through those times. But usually like in the first few months, for sure, your body is just so used to feeding on demand every two, three hours that um, your body's going to tell you you need to get up and pump anyway. Okay, perfect. Because that was one thing my husband and I had (laughs) talked about was the idea like my you know, plan, I guess we don't want to use that word, but my preference is to breastfeed, but I'm, I plan, I prefer to uh, be able to pump throughout the night. Cause my husband can do very well in short periods of time on like little to no sleep. And I am a train wreck. So he's like, no, that's not like, I'll be up with the baby. I'll be able to feed him um, or bring him to you and stuff. And I was like, I don't know how that works. I think I have to be up to pump or <laughs> to breastfeed. So, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And then, okay. This is totally unrelated to anything. Well, it's related to lactation and stuff. I have a super selfish question. There is a wife duo near us who they had twins Yep. and birth mom had the babies so I'll call her mom a and then mom B breastfed. And I was like, how does that work? She didn't have the babies. How was she able to do like, I'm just super selfishly curious about how that whole thing transpired. How do you produce milk if you didn't carry the baby? So it's hormones. Um, and that's all it is. So you would go on a regimen of birth control pills for a number of months straight, which raises all those levels. And then once you stop, um, like pregnancy. So it's like you're, you're telling your body that you've got all these months of all these high hormones in your body, 
then you stop just like as if you just had a baby. And then you start a pumping routine every three hours um, to bring your milk in. And it happens a lot with um, same-sex couples, with um, people who are adopting a baby or surrogacy. So yeah, induced lactation is um, a really viable option for people who want to, to feed their baby, but they're not giving birth. Okay. I was just like, oh my God, I've never like, I've never encountered that before. And I'm just selfishly curious how that works for the mom who wants to breastfeed or give that as an option. Maybe they're supplementing with some formula, some breast milk, but they're having a really hard time either producing a lot of milk or getting anything, getting some in. Is there anything supplement wise or herbal wise or Western medicine wise that somebody can do to help maybe bring in some milk or at least be able to, you know, supplement with some breast milk every once in a while? So my, my first question would be, is it, is there really a low supply or is it just that your body is producing exactly what baby needs and you don't have all this extra, which sometimes that people are thinking, well, I'm not full. My pump can't get anything, but baby is doing just fine with weight gain and, and wet diapers and soiled diapers. If that's the case, then I would say, look, you're just you're producing exactly what your baby needs and, and just not anymore. Um, and so that's my first question. And then obviously reach out to a lactation counselor, lactation consultant in your area, because they'll be able to come and help kind of discover um, to see what's happening. Um, skin to skin with your baby is really going to help bring your milk in. So like laying in bed for a full day together just a baby with a diaper, um, feeding person with without a shirt on um, to just be skin to skin. That's going to really help the hormones. That's going to help baby to feed whenever they want. And, and the main logic is, is that your brain is, is being told that it needs to produce milk. So you put baby to the breast, breast sends signals to the brain of I need to produce milk. The more often you do that, the more often the brain thinks I need to produce more milk. So when you feed on demand, as opposed to this every strict regimen of like every three hours, the body is just going to produce more. So feeding on demand, teaching your body, there's different pumping regimens that, that you know, lactation um, supports can help with to, to boost milk supply. There are different herbs um, that can help, but really some of those herbs can be counterintuitive, counteractive um, with other medications. So um, it's best to kind of chat with a professional, but it, there's a really great website called, um, ibconline.ca that can walk you through lots of different things of herbs and building your milk supply kellymom.com is great so there's some really great websites out there to kind of walk you through those things of you know is fenugreek great bless thistle is there's mother's tea um you know lactation cookies all those things and it'll walk you through how much to take um and if they're right for you for any other medications that you're taking and things like that I'll say in my head, when I was like first found out I was pregnant, I went and saw a naturopathic doctor just to make sure I was taking the right supplements. And then I saw my OBGYN after. And I mean, they shot down every herbal tea that I was drinking. And they were like, Nope, can't do that. Nope, can't have that. And I'm like, it's herbal. Like, I thought it would be fine. And I mean, there's a lot of things that are that come into place. And you know, you would think would be Oh, well, like, it's, it's fine. And you know, they explained to me the reasons why I shouldn't consume it. But uh, yeah, I like, I mean, I, I hope this whole episode goes without saying, but like always consult a medical practitioner or your family doctor or your midwife or anything. But um, 
it, it is amazing. I was like, oh my God, like everything. She's like, nope, can't have that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and it's all kind of like some of the things that doctors tell you to is not evidence-based. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're doing your mm-hmm. research because a lot of times things are like new information's coming. And so it's always great to kind of find like what's the newest information and what's evidence-based as opposed to like old wives tales. Things that you wouldn't think would have like, you know, be a blood thinner or, you know, those kinds of things that you don't want to have when you're pregnant, um, but you wouldn't think that that would be it. So um, it's, it's really, really kind of eye-opening sometimes once you get into it to be like, what? I can't have like peppermint tea. Well, you can have peppermint tea, but you know what I mean? But yeah, so always talk with somebody who's kind of in the know just to make sure. I feel like you can, you'll appreciate this. There was one day we brought out the futon to the living room so I could lay down and watch a movie and we just got all comfy cozy. And I was laying on my back and like the movie ended and I sat up and I was bawling my eyes out. And my husband was like, Megan, what? Like, it wasn't even a sad movie because we can't watch those anymore because I'm just a train wreck with them. Um, and I was like, I'm not supposed to be on my back. And, you know, they say all these horrible things about being on your back. And, you know, I mentioned it to my, you know, my mother-in-law, my my parents, and they're like, never heard of this in my entire life. And then I asked my doctor and she's like, hmm. I understand the study. I know the study. Yes, there's some validity. We don't want you lying on your back for, you know, hours and hours on end. But she's like, stressing about it is going to cause more complications than actually laying on your back for a few minutes or even half an hour. Like, yes, the left side, we prefer it. But like, get sleep, be comfortable, don't stress about these things. But when it comes to pregnancy, that I, I guess that wasn't really an old wives tale, but there was some validity to it. But she's like, please don't stress about it. I know. I remember when I was pregnant with my last one, I said to my doctor, like, I keep waking up and I'm on like my back or I'm on my right side. And he goes, Chandel, relax. Your body is going to tell you or wake you up when you need to move. Trust me, you're going to be OK. You know, and, and that's really what happens is like two o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up and I'm on my right side and I'm like, okay, my body's telling me I need to roll back over. So yeah, there's, there's some validity to like what your doctor said, um, you know, staying on your left side when you can, but at the end of the day, like, you know, baby is going to be fine. If you're rolling over, if you've hung out for a couple of hours on your back, you know, it's, it's all going to be okay. Sticking with the theme of uh, postpartum, I wanted to ask, you and I had talked about this, but for anyone who's maybe considered it or is like, I never even thought of it, the idea of consuming the placenta afterwards for helping with postpartum, do you feel like people should be doing it if they do decide to do it? What are they looking for as far as like, you know, a few people have even been like, what do you like, do you just eat it right after? Like, how does that, how does that work? So I guess I would love to ask you what, in your experience, what the benefits are of consuming a placenta and how does that actually look? Cause I feel like people have questions about what that's like. Yeah. So it's, it's something that in recent years has kind of been hush hush. The government has put a kind of a, a legal stance on, on people who used to encapsulate placentas for other people Um, They've kind of put a a stop to that, but people can still do it on their own if that's what they choose. So there's evidence to support the pros of doing it. There's also evidence to prove that there's no benefits to doing it. So it's kind of one of those in-between things. 
when people do choose to do it, usually they the, the most common thing I've seen is encapsulation. So it would be dehydrated, ground down, put in capsules, and then either put in smoothies or um, taken orally with water um, throughout the postpartum period. Some people do um, choose to put it in smoothies raw and um, kind of, you know, just blend it up um, and then drink it. So the theory behind it is that we are the only mammals who don't um, eat our own placentas and that by doing so, the studies are showing that um, your risks of postpartum um, anxiety and depression go down, your milk production goes up. But then on the flip side, there's evidence to show that people who have done this, there is no um, real change in, in how people's postpartum anxiety and depression kind of plays out. I did have a client who did do it, who encapsulated her placenta, um, and she had one of the worst uh, cases of postpartum OCD that I've seen. Um, so for her, it didn't kind of make the effects that she wanted it to have. So yeah, I guess it's it's a really personal choice. And yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things that to do your research and see if it's if it's in line with what you want. I think for me, my whole idea behind it was, I feel like it can't hurt, right? Like it might not make postpartum a thousand times better it might not do anything but unless there's like here's some pros and here's a list of cons that can go with it I'm like I don't think it can really hurt like I for, for that's and that's my personal opinion on it I had a a few friends who've done it they the one had it encapsulated but I guess because it was going to take a few days for her to get it the doctor had or the midwife had saved some from her umbilical cord so that she could <laughs> add it directly to her smoothies. And she she thought it helped. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who was like, it made things a thousand times worse. Like, don't do it. I think if anything, it's more like, did it do anything? I don't know. But it, it certainly couldn't hurt. And that's what I see in most cases is that, you know, it's it's one of those things it's really hard to say whether their milk production would have been as amazing as what it is, whether they had done it or not, or whether their mental health would have been okay, whether they done it, whether they they took it or not. So like you said, it, it's I haven't seen anybody have negative effects. And then again, could you correlate it to ingesting the placenta if there was negative effects? The biggest thing that was happening that why the government of Canada kind of cracked down is because people who were doing it for other people, there was some contamination that came through and people got sick because the area wasn't cleaned properly and sanitized properly. And so infection and bacteria and stuff crept in. So those are the biggest things that you need to watch out for. Um, if you're deciding to go with somebody to do it or whether you're doing it with yourself is making sure that the area that you're preparing things in is very sterile and clean. And yeah, and then after that, it's it's completely up to you how how you decide to take it. Is there any other test not eating this type of food after you give birth because it can make you constipated and it can, you know, lead into baby or, you know, the idea of like lay down for a few days or a week after you have birth, just, you know, to bond with baby and to make sure that your uterus doesn't kind of like get too weak or too heavy or I, you know, anything along those lines at all that uh, I haven't asked you that you're like, I feel like this is really 
been a, a needle mover in my clients' lives? Um, I think the biggest thing is um, to just trust the process because this is going to be new. Like you mentioned earlier, every baby is different. Every person is different. So to, to stay off the internet, stay off Google, don't, you know, just go with what works for you. If it works for you to breastfeed, great. If it works for you to bottle feed, wonderful. Whatever it is that works for you is kind of my biggest piece of advice. When it comes to like eating food um, that's going to transfer to baby, there are a lot of old wives tales about like onions and broccoli and peas and beans and anything that causes the feeder, the feeding person gas is going to go into baby. Although there's not a whole lot of hardcore evidence to show that that's right. Um, but it, it can help if a baby is gassy. And then there's a lot of really great like cultural things. Like if all Asian um, populations say to, to stay in bed for 40 days, you have people taking care of you, you're eating warm fluids, you worry about baby and we're gonna worry about you. Um, and that's amazing. If you are able to have that kind of support postpartum where you can just rest and let your body recover and heal, incredible. If not, because a lot of us don't, because we have partners who can't take those that many days off work or family who doesn't live close. Um, but just really kind of take the time that you need to recover. Don't go climbing stairs every single day. You're not going to go walking or running up that hill, Megan, right after birth. You listen to your body. <laughs> listen to your body. Drink lots of fluids. Eat well and, and rest when you need to rest, because that's going to be the biggest thing for sure. 40 days. I was planning like on a solid week to be in bed. 40 days sounds amazing. Like I wish I could have that type of <laughs> support behind me doing that. But um, that has been, I think for me, a, a huge learning curve is somebody I'm somebody who like, I have a very regimented before pregnancy, like workout routine, right on these days, I work out for this long doing this. And I've really had to be like, man, this doesn't feel good today, or I'm proud of myself. But I, the idea of listening to your body, and even I think when it comes to food, right, like there's so many moms that I talk to or pregnant ladies that are like, they feel so guilty about wanting to eat red meat more often than they normally would. And I'm like, that's your body signaling to you. It needs whatever, like iron, whatever is in it, your body is craving craving it I mean if your body is craving McDonald's every single day I would maybe not listen to that voice you know seven days in a row <laughs> but even my one doctor was like if you have a craving like you're clearly a healthier person if you have a craving for Wendy's or McDonald's once in a while eat indulge it in it enjoy right. it don't beat yourself up over it you're doing more damage than that just like listen to your body listen to what it's telling you so yeah. And your body, obviously, like you said, needs something, you know, whether like that's iron or some grease or just to feel carefree um, and to do something out of the norm. That's OK. And so I love when doctors are like, yeah, listen to your body. If your body says to go do it, do it. You're not jumping off a cliff. You're having a Big Mac, you know, so whatever that looks like. I know a lot of vegetarians who end up eating meat during pregnancy because that's what their body is screaming at them and they feel a lot of guilt over it. But look like your, your body's taking everything. Your baby is taking everything from your body. They're sucking all the good stuff from you. So you need to push that back in. And sometimes prenatal vitamins just doesn't give you enough. No, absolutely. Uh, this has been such an incredible conversation. 
before I send everybody to either check you out online or to get in contact with you, is there a book, podcast, or resource that has brought you incredible value? It does not have to be related to birth at all, although it can be, that you want to leave with the audience, just something that changed your life in a positive way? Oh, goodness. I'll think about birth because my life is birth. Birthing instincts is incredible. That is, uh, they're on Instagram and based out of the States, they have such good information and it really empowered me um, to kind of help and support people the way that they want it to birth. There's another one, uh, a podcast called The Birth Rebellion, and it is so empowering for, for birthing people. I highly suggest anybody who's going to have a baby or who is having a baby to go and listen to those podcasts. And then as a book, why did no one tell me this? It's a super easy read. It's not like one of these like medical journal type things, but it's, it's from a doula for birthing people and partners about like, Hey, you're about to go through this. Here's the Coles notes versions that if you don't have a doula, this is what we want you to know. So yeah, that's my recommendations. Shondell, this has been an incredible conversation. If people want to reach out to you, maybe they want to use your services, or even if they don't live locally, but they just want to like see what you're up to online, where can everybody go and find you? So my business is Blossom and Birth. And so you can find me, Google me blossomandbirth.ca, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as well. So again, it's just Blossom and Birth. Perfect. I will make sure everything is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been so informative and such a fun conversation to have. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If you love this podcast episode, spread the love by sharing this with your friends and family, share it out on social media, and don't forget to give it a five-star rating and review. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful that you are here. Until next time.